You know, when uh, a couple weeks ago when Steve and I were talking about uh, the service for today, you know, we planned some of these things uh, several weeks ahead. Steve said, I got this great song. You got to hear it. And uh, that was it. And I was just so thrilled when he picked that song. And it just because it just fits so well with what I want to talk with you guys about this morning. But as I was listening to uh, Steve's introduction uh, into the theme this morning, uh, just before the video, I was reminded again of some thoughts that I've had throughout the week as I've been preparing this message. And it's really, you know, as, as we moved here to Summit about a year ago, I've been here just over a year, I've been over and over and over again impressed with the fact that you guys are actually willing to spend money to have people criticize you, you know, to tell you what's wrong with you. I mean, you go to doctors, you know, and the doctor tells you what's wrong, or you go to a personal trainer and, you know, and she tells you you're flabby in this spot, you know, or you go to a personal life coach, you know, who says the way that you're living your life, the way that you're organizing yourself, you know, just the way that you are just doesn't really fit with the way that you want to be. You know, and that's what we do. You know, we've got golf professionals. We've got tennis lessons. We send our kids to soccer camp, you know, for half the summer. And we spend all sorts of money to have people tell us that we don't measure up and that we're no good. And we smile about it, you know. But heaven help the husband who says to his wife some of those same things, or the wife, you know, who says to her husband, I mean, why is it, you know, that we'll, we'll, we'll pay these coaches, we'll pay these teachers, but if one of our family members starts telling us the same stuff, it, it doesn't work. I think part of it has to do with a relationship and, and all of that. Uh, but one of the key things, as I've, been, as I've been chewing on this, one of the key things that I thought about is, you know, so much of this depends on how we see ourselves, you know. I don't view myself as a great golfer, so I am very happy to have people tell me how I can play golf better because I want to play golf better. But if you start talking to me about my character, you know, if you start talking to me about how I relate to people, it's a little tougher. I become a little more attentive. Part of that is because it, it hits so close to my heart and how I see myself and how I view myself and who I think I am. You know? And so those are some of the issues that we have to deal with when we're talking about where we fall down and where we're not perfect and where we don't measure up. But we are concerned about these things. You know, We do want to be healthy. We do want to be physically fit. We do want to, to have well-organized lives. We do want to play golf or tennis well. We do want to be able to cook well. We want our kids to be able to play soccer well and on and on and on and on and on. But one of the other things that I've noticed in my, in my time here is that we care about our spirit spiritual lives, you know. We care about our relationship with God. We care about these things. And the fact that you're sitting here this morning uh, tells me that that's the case. And, and I realize that there are people here this morning that are on all ends of the spirit, you know, all over the spiritual spectrum. I mean, if you've been a follower of Christ, say your entire life, you know, you can't even remember when you began to be a follower of Christ because you just kind of grew up with it. Maybe today you're sitting here and saying, you know, my relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. And you're on kind of this end of the spiritual spectrum. And then there's others of you, maybe this is your first time in church ever, or your first time in church in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And the only reason that you're here is because a friend invited you and said, hey, come to Renaissance. It's a really cool church. And you said, yeah, okay, I'll check it out. And you have about this much interest in spiritual things, about this much interest in your relationship with God. But it's not zero. 
there's something there. You're at least somewhat interested in maybe finding out more about who this God is, who this Jesus is that your friend talks to you about. And so that's why you're here. So wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum, just as with our physical health, we're concerned about things to do with our spiritual health and our relationship with God. And the passage from the Bible that I want us to look at this morning is one that's been especially helpful to me in my relationship with God. But it wasn't always the case uh, that this passage was helpful to me. For many, many years, I actually found it to be discouraging. I, I actually found it to, to be guilt-producing. And I want to share with you why that was and kind of the story of how I came to see it in a new light and then it became much more helpful to me. It's in, the, uh, it's in a book that was written by a guy named John. He's the Apostle John, and you may know him. If you've uh, ever read parts of the New Testament, you may be familiar with you know, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four sort of biographies of Jesus, and John wrote that fourth one. This is not that biography. It's actually a very short letter that he wrote, uh, probably some years after he wrote his gospel, um, and it's just, it's got some really great stuff in there, and I want us to take a look at a, at a passage there. But before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Apostle John. If you think about when Jesus was alive on the earth, he had a lot of people who would hang out with him. They were called disciples. That meant they were his followers. They were people who spent time with him on a regular basis. They listened to his teaching. They tried to do what he was saying. They, you know, they ministered with him. They did all sorts of things. There were actually probably several hundred of those. We're more familiar with what we would call the 12 disciples. These are 12 men who spent pretty much all of their time with Jesus. They were among his closest friends. And within that group of 12, there was a circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who were among Jesus' closest friends. And within those three, John was Jesus' best earthly friend. He was the one who was closer to Jesus than anybody else when Jesus was living on the earth. And so if we want to understand how to have a relationship with God, how to have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. I can think of no one better to tell us about it than the Apostle John. And so I want to take a look at a number of verses here in uh, his first of three letters, 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Let me read that to us. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So, so John is saying, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus, and we're going to tell you about it. If we claim to have fellowship with him, let me just stop right in mid-sentence there. That word fellowship is not a word that is in most of our everyday vocabulary, unless you're some sort of like a J.R.R. Tolkien fan, and you know, you're, you're obsessed with it, and you talk about the fellowship of the ring all the time. But if you've seen that movie, you've kind of got a, some idea of what fellowship is. Fellowship means having something in common with someone. You know, so in the, in the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, they had this quest in common for what they were going to try to do with this ring to take it and destroy it and, you know, and, and that sort of thing. When we're talking about fellowship this morning, just think of it as having a close relationship with. So if we're talking about having fellowship with God, we're talking about having a close relationship with him. So uh, John continues, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him or a close relationship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this morning, I want us to focus especially on verses 5 to 7, but I wanted to read the whole passage because uh, just in, in, in seeing that, that larger section, it's helpful for you to understand what was going on in me as I was working my way uh, through and trying to understand this passage. So as I mentioned, for many years, this passage was one that actually produced guilt and, and was problematic for me. And I think a key to that was my understanding of this light and darkness imagery that John uses. And if you've ever read the Gospel of John, he uses this light-darkness imagery throughout the Gospel. And he actually uses imagery like this in, in most of the books that he writes. In fact, John wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And if you've ever looked at that, you know it's just incredibly chock-full of symbolism. So what's this light and darkness idea mean? Well, the way I understood it is in verse 5 when he says God is light, John is making a statement there, or at least I thought, about God's moral purity. You know, light is moral purity. It's, you may have heard the term holiness or righteousness. So God is holy. He's morally pure. He's good and darkness is evil. So light is good, darkness is evil. So God is light, there's no darkness in him at all. God is good, there's no evil in him at all. And that is absolutely true. I mean, all throughout the Bible, there is no question, God is good, there's nothing wrong with him. He never does anything wrong. He never fails, he never hurts anyone. And so that's, that's uh, how I understood it. And so then this concept of walking in the light... Well, what that would mean is if I'm walking in the light, that means I'm living a good life. I'm living a morally pure, an upright, uh, a life without sin, without disobedience to God. And sin would be just the idea of, of falling short of how God wants us to live, about how God wants us to be in the moral sense. It doesn't mean, you know, making a mistake on a math test or, or something like that, but it has to do, say, with, you know, with lying or cheating or stealing or maybe avoiding doing the good that we could do. You know, there's something we could be doing good, but we avoid that, and so God would say that's sin. So I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this passage, and he makes these, you know, these statements like, uh, you know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. I'm thinking, okay, so if I want to have a close relationship with God, I've got to live a good life. The problem is, like I think most of us, when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize we're not perfect. You know, we do some things that are wrong. We, we try, but we fail, you know, and we don't live up to the moral standards that we know we ought to live up with. You know, we're not Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or, you know, or somebody like that, but we're not perfect either. We're not Jesus, you know, and we're not as morally pure as he is. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, if God is morally pure and I'm not, then this passage is telling me that I don't really have fellowship with him. I don't really have that relationship with him. And this became a problem for me. You know, my next problem was that I actually knew some Greek. Um, you know, I'd studied it in seminary. 
And, uh, you know, you read the different commentators and they talk about this, and a number of them say, well, you know, as you understand in the Greek here, that the idea of, you know, walking in the light, that means living a life being characterized by good as opposed to a life that's characterized by evil. And what we're beginning to do is just reduce the standard a little bit here. So we're saying it's living a pretty good life. An illustration might help at this point. I like to play golf. I don't play it extraordinarily well, but I like to play golf. It's fun. It's a, it's a good recreation for me. It's a good way to hang out with people. But I'm not a golfer, okay? Tiger Woods is a golfer. He lives a life that's characterized by golf. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. And sometimes I play golf, okay? I'm a good person, but sometimes I do bad things. I'm generally good, but once in a while... I mess up. And this is how I began to understand this passage. The problem with that is I'm also at least reasonably honest with myself from time to time. And I started saying, you know what? How good is good? I mean, how often do I have to play golf in order to be considered to be a golfer? How good do I have to be in order to be considered a golfer? Do I have to be Tiger Woods good? Or could I just be, you know, I don't know, John Daly good, you know? Okay, I mean, John Daly's a golfer, you know, for better or for worse there. You know, where do I have to be in that spectrum of goodness? Well, I look and I say, I'm not even John Daly good, okay? You know, I don't, so, so what do we do here? I, I began to feel more and more guilty, and I'm saying to myself, not only are you not living up to the standard, you've dumbed it down some because you're not as morally pure as God is. You've dumbed it down some and you still don't meet that standard. You know, what kind of a jerk are you for this? And it just spiraled and it became really, and some of you are looking at me and saying, I think you need some counseling here, you know. Well, in some sense, I did, you know, as, as I was working through this. And it didn't become paralyzing or anything, but it did become, it, it got to the point where I just kind of avoided this passage altogether. Or if I had to, to look at it, I would look at verse 9, you know, where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. I like that part, you know, the whole forgiveness thing. And then the next couple of verses where it talks about Jesus being our advocate with God and him dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. I like that, you know, verse 9 and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, but I'd skip, you know, 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and then verse 10, you know, all of the, all of the stuff there that's negative. And so I started doing this. The problem is I actually had to, to give a message on this passage a number of years ago, so I actually had to deal with those verses, you know. And as I was, as I was studying and preparing for this, I'm just saying, this is not good. How can I just stand up there and tell people, you got to dumb down the standard and, you know, you just got to be pretty good and this sort because I didn't believe it, you know. And so I'm praying and I'm studying this and I came across something that just revolutionized my way of understanding this passage. And the key was understanding that the, the light-darkness imagery is not talking about moral purity. It's not talking about good versus evil. It's talking about something else that I'll tell you about in just a minute. But first, I, I want to mention that some of you come from a background where you weren't too far from where I was in understanding this passage. You know, you grew up, whether it was in a home or a church, where you were told over and over and over again, if you want to be a good Christian, if you want to be a follower of Christ, if you want to know God, you have to do these things. And if you don't do those things, then 
you're bad and that's not good. You know, so whether it's you have to go to church every Sunday. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to church, and I'm glad that you're here. That's a good thing. But you're told, if you don't go to church every Sunday, that's a problem, you know. Or if you don't read your Bible every day for this length of time, that's a problem. Or if you don't pray in this particular way, that's a problem. Or if you don't do this, or if you, you know, uh, you know, say, I don't drink, chew, or go with the girls that do. You know, whatever it may be, however you look at it, you know, you've got this set of rules and regulations, and if you meet those rules and regulations, you're in good standing with God. But if you don't meet them, you're not. And the problem is, none of us meet them. I mean, come on, we got to be honest with ourselves. We don't measure up. And when I realized that, when I said, you know what? I don't measure up. I can't do this. And I don't know anybody who does measure up. That, coupled with this new understanding of this light-darkness imagery, just revolutionized my understanding of this passage and turned it from being something that was guilt-producing to something that brought freedom and excitement and joy. And like, you know, I just wanted to talk about it and tell people. And so I actually went around telling a whole bunch of my friends, man, this is so cool. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. You know, and some of them were actually really excited by it. But anyway, so let me tell you what I saw here. I think the key thing is that the light and darkness imagery is not good versus evil. It's the idea of revealing versus concealing, okay? It's, it's the idea of showing versus hiding. If Josh and, and Dave were to turn off the lights right now, you wouldn't be able to see me anymore. I'd be concealed because I'd be in the darkness. But with the lights on, you can see me. You can see what I look like. You can see the clothes that I'm wearing. If you're in the front row, you know, you can see some of the, you know, the strengths and, you know, weaknesses of my face. I mean, this is my better side, and, you know, it's, you know, that, I mean, it depends on how far back you are, obviously. But you need the light in order to reveal. And in a spiritual sense, that's what John is talking about here. He's saying that God is light. He's the one who reveals. He reveals to us what he's like, and he reveals to us what we're like. And so this idea of walking in the light is the idea of getting close enough to Jesus that he'll be able to shine his light on us. We'll get to see him as he is and get an idea of what he's really like. And then he'll show us what we're like. He'll show us our strengths. He'll show us our weaknesses. He'll show us where we don't measure up. Kind of like with the personal trainer. I mean, think about this for a minute. If you're spending, you know, I don't know, $100 a week for a health club membership, okay, and you never show up at the health club, what good does it do you? You know, hey, I got this health club membership so that I can get in shape. And you stay at home all the time. Is it going to help you at all? No, of course not. Well, similarly, if we want to grow in our relationship with God, but we don't get anywhere near him, we just hide off in the darkness, How's anything going to happen? How are we going to grow? How's there going to be any spiritual growth in our lives? How's there going to be any change and, and progress in our relationship with God if we don't get close to him? But it's natural for us to want to hide. You know, When you do something that you're ashamed of, when you do something wrong, what's the first thing that you do? You know, you don't write about it in your blog, you know, and, and tell everybody, you know, hey, guess what I did this week? You know, how the way I treated my wife, isn't that cool? You know, no, you don't do that. You know, you want to hide it. You don't want your spouse to know about it. You don't want your friends to know about it. You don't want your boss to know about it. Why? Because you're ashamed of it. And, and sometimes we even hide it. We try to hide it from ourselves and kind of rationalize and, and deny it. And we also want to hide from God, you know, in that way. We don't want to sometimes get close enough to him to let him show us that we're not perfect. But if we don't, 
then we've got no opportunity to change, no opportunity to growth for, for growth, no opportunity for real hope of anything changing, of anything getting better. So this idea of walking in the light, this idea of walking in the light means coming to Jesus. Take a look at verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. How can we say that we have a close relationship with God if we never spend any time with him, if we never get close to him? You know, if I say, hey, I've got a great marriage, but I never spend any time with my wife. Well, how can you have a great marriage if you never communicate with your, with your wife or your husband, you know? How can you say that, hey, my personal trainer and I, you know, we're like this and she's really helpful to me. Well, if you never spend any time with her, of course not. How can you say I have a close relationship with God if you're always hiding from him, if you're refusing to get close enough to him because you're afraid that he's going to show you what's wrong with you and show you where you don't measure up? And see, that's part of the problem. When we go to the personal trainer, when we go to the dentist, when we go to the doctor, when we go to the tennis professional, you know, whatever it may be, we go because we want change, because we want help, because we want to improve, because we want to get better. And the same ought to be true with our relationship with God. But sometimes it's not because the issues with my tennis swing don't, don't nearly come as close to my heart as the issues with the way that I treat my children or the way that I treat you or the way that I interact with my coworkers or the way that I treat my wife and so on and so on and so on. Those come so much closer to who I am. And so we, we kind of hesitate. We back off. We're not so excited about going to God for that. Maybe because we don't trust him, because we're afraid. Maybe because we've grown up in a situation where we're told, you don't measure up. You're bad, 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 bad. And it's just guilt after guilt after guilt heaped upon us. And no hope and no, no, no forgiveness is offered. But if we really understand who Jesus is, that he's not a God who's standing up there waiting to zap us, that he's not looking for every possible excuse to say, you're bad, you're wrong, and <laughs> you know, now I get to nuke another one of you. That's not the kind of God that we have, you know? We got the kind of God who cares about us more than our personal trainer, who cares about us more than our doctor, who cares about us more than all these people who we pay. We, he, our God cares about us because he loved us, because he created us in his image to look like him, and he wants to have a relationship with us. And as verse 9 and as, as uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 say, you know, Jesus came to die on the cross and to rise again because God wants to have that relationship with us, and he wants to take care of our sin and our guilt and our shame and the things that we've done wrong. And he wants to see us change, and he wants to enable us to change. So we can go to him with the same confidence that we can go to any of these other people, the, the, the personal trainers, the life coach, the doctor, the dentist, the tennis coach, you know, whomever it may be. We can go with the same confidence, really even more, that God has our best interests in heart, that, he's, that he is showing us where we fall short, not in order to condemn us, but in order to redeem us, in order to change us, because he wants to forgive us, because he cares about us, because he loves us. Take a look at verse 9 again for, for just a minute. He says, if we confess our sins, John's saying, if we confess our sins, if we say to God, yeah, show me what's wrong, and I agree with you, I didn't do that Thing that I ought to have done or I did that that I shouldn't have done. You know, I should have deferred to that person. 
I shouldn't have been rude to that person over there. Whatever it may be, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God that we do these things wrong, then he's faithful, he'll, he's just, he'll forgive our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And then it goes on. And we're going to talk more next week about this idea of cleansing and of forgiveness and how we can have on a, really on a moment-by-moment basis in our relationship with God the confidence that he's not going to zap us, but that he loves us and that he's, that he's positively inclined toward us, that he wants to have that close relationship with us. But for right now, what I, what I just want you to see is don't be afraid to come to God. Don't be afraid to turn to him and say, hey, shine your light on me. Show me where I don't measure up. You know, show me where I fall down. I think of it kind of like, you know, when you go to the dentist and, and you know, I go to the dentist, uh, I was supposed to go twice a year and there was a dental hygienist in here, first service, you know, and that's always an exciting opportunity when I'm talking about dentists and that sort of thing. You know, and every time you go to the dental hygienist, what's the first thing that she does? You know, she makes you rinse with this pink disclosing solution, you know, and it shows you where you haven't been brushing well. And I've gotten to the point with the one that I normally go to. I say, you know, we don't even need that. I will show you exactly where on my teeth is the problem, you know, and it's just kind of discouraging, you know, because, because that, well, in a sense, what we need to do with God is come to God and say, okay, show me where I've not been brushing, you know, show me where I've been falling down so that I can change because otherwise I'm not going to be the kind of person that you want me to be, be the kind of person that I want to be. My relationships with others will suffer, you know, and, and people won't see Jesus and be, tra- be attracted to him and me. So let me encourage you this week to, to take some time Uh, maybe every day, maybe just five minutes, maybe just three minutes a day and pray and say, God, show me yourself. Help me to see you as you really are. Reveal yourself to me. Help me to see you as the creator of the universe who's just awesome and majestic but cares enough to know the little details in my life. Help me to see you as the God who died on the cross and rose again so that I could have a relationship with you and give me a deeper understanding of who you are, but also at the same time show me myself. You know, show me where I don't always measure up. Show me where my flaws are. Show me where my weaknesses are and help me to really understand and appreciate the forgiveness that you have for me. Let me encourage you to do that this week, and let let me encourage you to come back next week because we're going to spend much more time talking about this forgiveness. And I can say from just from my own life, as I've understood these things more and more deeply, it has just revolutionized my walk with God, my relationship with him, and I think my relationships with other people too. So let me encourage you in that way. Let me ask the band to come on up, and uh, as they're coming up, I'd like to pray for us. So join me in prayer if you would. Father, I thank you that you're a God who loves us and who cares for us and who forgives us. I thank you that you're a God who's morally pure, that there's nothing wrong with you. You're good and there's no evil uh, in you at all, and that you desire that for us. But I thank you that even though we don't live up to that, you still love us and that you're gracious toward us and that you forgive us and that you care about us and that you want to help us to grow and that you want to work in our lives to make us more and more like yourself. And I thank you, Father, that we don't need to fear to come before you and and to, to have you expose our sin to us because your goal is not to condemn us, but your goal is to love us and to help us to grow and to become more like yourself. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't hide from you. When we've done wrong, I pray, Father, that we would come to you and confess it and receive the forgiveness that you had. And I pray that we would each grow in our love for you as a result. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.